seated. Good to see you tonight, church. Glad you're here for our midweek service. Glad each one of you are here. We're looking forward to getting back uh, tonight into our uh, study on Samson's life. Uh, So we'll be back in the book of Judges tonight. But I'd like to share uh, some announcements with you first. I did receive a, a card this week from Beverly Hall. And many of you have been praying for Bev since her husband Frank went home to be with the Lord. And we want to continue doing that, but I wanted to read her card to you tonight, and then we'll have it uh, back out here on the information table. In fact, there's several cards to our church family. You may want to stop by and read those. This one says, Pastor Mark and Church, thank you so much for providing the six Bibles in Frank's memory. There is nothing more Frank would have wanted than spreading God's word to others. No matter where he was, he would always ask that a person uh, ask a person if he or she knew Jesus Christ as Savior. We may never know whose hands those Bibles will end up in. Just pray they will become a believer in Christ. Thank you again. Your blessing will be rewarded one day in Christ, Beverly Hall. So that's good. We, our church, a number of years ago, instead of sending flowers uh, to funeral homes when people die, we began investing in Beams Bibles. And so Uh, when one of our church members passes away or the immediate family of a church member passes away, we send uh, Bibles in their memory. And these Bibles go all over the world. Uh, We don't know where they're going to go, but we have over the years received letters from um, a couple of African nations from the Philippines, and they're written to Faith Baptist Church because they, the Beams Ministry lets people know where those Bibles come from. So we'll get Uh, letters. A number of years ago, we got four letters from different people in the Philippines, um, and they were all written in Tagalog. Now, I don't know how you're doing with the Tagalog language. I'm not doing that well with it. Uh, Fortunately, there was a Filipino student over at Carson Newman College, and they translated those letters for us, uh, which was great. But I think this is a much better way uh, of remembering someone by putting God's eternal word in someone's hand who otherwise may never get a Bible. And so we thank the Lord for Brother Frank and the testimony he leaves behind, but I sure would appreciate you continuing to pray for Bev. And, uh, and we will have some other prayer requests for you this evening, several that we've added to the bulletin this week. In a moment when we shake hands, I would encourage you to get one of our prayer bulletins and also get one of our Bible study sheets for, t- for tonight. They're available at the welcome desk, and when we shake hands here in a minute, you can do that. But let me, if I can, <coughs> let me mention just a couple of announcements to you. Um, the Hearts and Hands meeting uh, this coming Saturday morning at uh, 9 o'clock, and they meet from 9 to noon on the first Saturday of each month. They'll be back in our fellowship room. Uh, Brother J.J. Ocampo is going to be with us and his wife, L.K., They're going to be with us Sunday morning only. Uh, They're going to be at a church in Bristol on Sunday night. So look for the Ocampos, if you would, on Sunday. And I'll give you a heads up. He does have some music CDs that he sells. He plays a beautiful piano. And I asked he and LK if they would uh, sing Sunday morning, so they will. (coughs) Excuse me. And so that's going to be this coming Sunday. And then not this Friday. So uh, mark this, if you would. Not this Friday, but the following Friday. Amazing Grazing, Little Dutch Restaurant in Morristown, 11 o'clock, all right? Now, if you show up this week at Little Dutch, they will feed you, but you'll be eating all by yourself. Church group is going on Friday, October the 13th, and meeting there at 11 o'clock. Little Dutch is on Cumberland, 
there in Morristown near downtown. And so if you don't, uh, if you have the opportunity to go, that's a good time of fellowship. And so you can sign up out here at the, at the information table, and that'll be great. In just a moment, when we, when we shake hands, get your prayer bulletin, would you, if you haven't already, and a worksheet. And Brother Jeff's going to come and lead us in another song. <coughs> You're going to get tired of this probably before I do. Um, but if you, if you would stand with your hymnal, Jeff's going to come back and lead us in another song together. And uh, we're looking forward to our Bible study tonight, continuing with Samson. All right? Let's stand together with your hymnal. Brother Jeff's coming. Page number 511. Page number 511. Jesus, my
Well, if you would take your prayer bulletin. Oh, and I lost mine. We'll start with our prayer bulletin this evening, and uh, we do have some updates. And then we have added several people to it. Um, and you'll find those, the newest ones in there will be in bold on the inside. And then we have some that we will add in just a few moments to the front of the bulletin as well. Some of you on, on the inside, well, we're praying for, all, of course, all of those that are in that first column. Some of these are family members. Many of them are friends or acquaintances with people in our church that need to be saved. Um, I haven't talked to Brett Butel in a while uh, about Piper Warden, this young lady that's on here. I believe she's probably 14 years old now with uh, leukemia, and we don't have an update on her, and I'll try to get one of those, but she's just one of several that are on that list. Not only are they unsaved, but many of them are dealing with uh, life-threatening cancer, and so we want to be praying for them and keeping them in prayer, if you would. In that second column, um, some of you remember Tracy Silver that went to our church a while back. She has recently been diagnosed with breast cancer, as well as uh, her mom, and we've added her mom on that list as well. Her name is Teresa Woods, and so both of them recently diagnosed uh, Miss Woods' cancer is very aggressive and has metastasized both through her liver and her spine. And so pray for Tracy and pray for her mom, if you would. Um, if you would like to send Miss Woods a card, we have her address, and you can get that from our church office. If you'd like to get, send a card, let her know we're praying for her. Uh, but please keep them in prayer. And then um, Bill Childress has been added to that list as well. I, I mentioned to you before, Brother Bill has been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He spent several days in the hospital recently down in North Carolina. He's got a pretty bad infection. The plan is right now for the next, I believe, uh, Van said for the next six weeks, he's going to be getting a shot every day. A home health nurse will come and give him a shot to battle this infection. But just before church started tonight, Bill or, or Van, his wife, texted me, and uh, his cancer has been found now in several places. And so they're going to be doing um, a needle biopsy to determine the spread of his cancer. And so I'd like you to be in prayer for Bill and Van Childress, if you would. Find, find Christian folks. Their faith is strong in the Lord, and uh, they're just going through a deep, a deep trial right now. So please keep him in prayer, if, if you would, as well as Van. They have two adult sons, but one of their sons lives in Australia and um, I know that that's hard being away from his parents during this time. We have also added to that next column, Brother Bill Beck, at the top of that list. Um, he had radiation for cancer he had before, and now he's dealing with radiation colitis, and he's got some tests coming up soon to determine what all is going on. And so please be in prayer for Brother Bill. Um, this is really a result of the cancer treatment that damaged his colon during radiation uh, a while back. And so we were praying that his cancer is not metastasized, but you pray for Bill and his wife, Jill, if you would. Um, Jean LaCoulter, I'll just update this real quick. Jean is still in this nursing home locally, and uh, she um, 
Denise Cross went by there and visited her today, and Jean's doing somewhat better. Um, Jean said uh, that, or, or Denise rather, said that Jean was eating more today than she has ever seen her eat. Um, that is great news. Uh, we are thankful for that. Please continue to pray for Jean that she will adjust. Um, most likely, she will be in a long-term care facility. She's just not able to care for herself. That's where she needs to be. But the, um, you know, a week and a half or so ago, uh, she was requesting anyone that would listen, please take me home. And that wasn't quite as uh, that wasn't quite as apparent today. And so, hopefully, she's settling in. And she's getting good care there, it seems like. And uh, I want you to continue praying for our sister Jean, if you would. And just so you know, um, you'd be welcome to go by and see her. And she would welcome that. I just will tell you this. She can't hear a thing. So the way I communicate with her is I sit right there next to her. I just text back and forth to her. And so I just I send a text or I just type it on my phone and let her read it. But it would be great if she could get some uh, if she could get some visits throughout the week. I think that would be great. You just got to be willing to text with her. Now, if you have one of those old flip phones and you're stuck with T9 texting, you know you're on your own for that. Um, but she uh, she lost her cochlear uh, her cochlear external cochlear uh, parts, and so she's not able to hear at all. And so texting is the best way to communicate with her. But it would be great if, if some folks could maybe go by and see her. I know that would encourage her. And so pray for Jean, if you would. That's an ongoing prayer request. And several other that we have listed on this list. We have several others that are uh, listed here. And we want to ask you to continue praying for them. There are three names that we've added also in the recovering from surgery. Uh, the first name is Steve Ross. Steve uh, is the brother of Nancy Manley. And we're praying for we're praying for him. He had a heart procedure last Friday, so pray for him. Kay French is, is Mary Owen's daughter, and uh, she tore her retina. She had to have surgery on that yesterday, and that is a, uh, that's a, a decent recovery time. And so that's a pretty serious injury. And so pray for Kay, if you would. And then a friend of Alan, Linda Bettner, his name is Doug Skeen. And he has recently had a heart transplant. So please continue, if you would, praying for, uh, praying for Doug Skeen. And then I think we mentioned to you on Sunday that we're expecting at some point in the future, uh, Hunter Donahue, Officer Donahue, is going to be having another brain surgery. Um, Brian, am I, am I correct in saying he's – is he back on light duty? Okay. Um, okay. Hunter is on Brian's shift at Morristown Police Department, and um, we want to continue praying for Hunter. And you remember his wife's name is Kaylin, and they have two little baby girls. One's a brand new baby girl, um, just a few months old. But let's pray for them as well. Then we have our homebound church members listed there: uh, Faye and Mary and Jeanette. Uh, you ought to put Virginia Collier down there and, and Karen and just keep praying for them um, that God would continue ministering to these ladies. And then we have a number of, of families that we're praying for under the bereavement. And you can see them listed there. Uh, we want to make sure that we lift these folks up in prayer. Um, we're thankful for the promises of God and the hope we have to see our loved ones again. But that doesn't make that separation 
uh, go away. And there's grief there. And so pray for these families, if you would. And then we have listed a number of military personnel that are friends or relatives of those in our church. Recently, we, add, uh, we added the most recent is Layla Sulfridge. Layla is in basic training up in uh, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Brian just showed me another picture of, of Layla uh, up there. And so pray for all of these men and women that are serving our country, if you would. On the back, we list our, our missionaries. Every week, we have these six that are sent out of our church, and we pray for them. Uh, we had a wonderful meeting with Bio last week. We're thankful for it, um, and we're glad to, to uh, have been able to host that. Pray for Terry and Barb Childers, if you would, um, and their ministry to our missionaries. Jason and Kate. Kate is at home. She is on a schedule for chemotherapy every other week. And so today she had off. Next Wednesday, she will, uh, she's scheduled to have her second treatment. Uh, she, had a, she had a kind of a rough day today, Brother Jason said. So please continue praying for uh, Kate and the cancer battle that she is fighting. Um, one specific prayer request you could pray is that she will stay hydrated. The last two times she's been admitted to the hospital, it's because uh, she's been dehydrated. She has a very hard time swallowing because of some sores in her throat. So they've given her a medicated mouthwash to help, and we're praying that uh, we're praying that that will allow her to drink enough to keep her hydrated at home. Pray for Brother Jason and, and our sister Kate and their children as well. Johannes and Kittis Gatana with their deaf ministry in Zambia. It was good to see him last week. I don't know those of you who weren't here uh, Thursday night missed. We, we had a good conversation with uh, Johannes um, right up until we found out why we lost him, by the way. If you're familiar with Zoom, if you don't pay for Zoom, uh, you only get, I think it's 45 or 60 minutes free. To make sure we had a good connection, we opened up the connection with him before service started last week, and we ran out of time. And so he was connected for either 45 or 60 minutes, but that's why we lost it. Uh, we thought maybe something happened over there. turned out it was our fault for not, uh, uh, for not watching the time that we had with him. But what we did get to hear from him was great, and, and God's doing a great work in the deaf schools over there and in the churches. Please continue praying for them. I had a good conversation with Amber Yingling. Uh, pray for her as she is determining where her next stage in ministry is going to be. She's ready to start some hands-on training in orphanages. That's her heart, ultimately, is to start an orphanage in the Philippines. And you remember when Amber was here, was my number right? She said, I think it was 1.2 or 1.4 million orphans in the Philippines. And these are kids, just street kids. Um, and her heart is to begin an orphanage over there, and she's ready to take the next step in getting some hands-on training with that. And so pray for God's leadership in her life, that it would be clear. And then John and uh, John and Nikki, we continue praying for them. He's going to be attending the missions conference down at Pensacola Christian College and talking to those who God's called to the mission field. We're trying to recruit future missionaries for bio. He's also going to be having, uh, you can see there, he's going to be having a sinus surgery. He said the other day it was a roto-rooter uh, for sinuses on November the 10th. So pray for that, that God would use that to help him out. Burhanu and Wubit, uh, serving the Lord there in Ethiopia, we continue to pray for the progress on the building and also for hopefully their trip uh, next year. 
And then at the bottom of the page, these are missionaries we partner with monthly, but they're not members at our church. The Weavers down in Belize, uh, Brother Dan's mom passed away earlier this year, and she was a believer, and I thank the Lord for that. That was in his letter earlier this year. For Lloyd, who is in Bible translation, we do not list his uh, place of service. He is in a restricted access nation translating the scriptures. And um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he is on his second language. Um, he's worked one. He is a genius when it comes to languages. It just Language just clicks with some people. And Lloyd, thankfully, is surrendered to the Lord as a Bible translator. So I think he's working on his second language over there. And then Graham and Olivia are uh, a young couple we began partnering with earlier this year, and they are in Nigeria. Nigeria is, I think I read somewhere, it's, if it's not the fastest-growing country in the world, it's one of the fastest-growing countries in the world. And so be in prayer for uh, the youngs as they serve the Lord there in Nigeria. And then if you would... Um, there are a couple of requests that were turned in. If you would add these to the front of your uh, bulletin, you, you find a place to write there. Roxanne is updating. Um, Paul Vargas, a uh, missionary to Peru, they feel the cancer was successfully removed, so no chemo will be required, and they are praising the Lord for that. And so let's continue praying for uh, the Vargas family, missionaries to Peru, and Rick Widener is asking us to pray for Chloe Johnson, nine years old. Um, it is Rick's sister's great-granddaughter, and he said she's having some health issues. And so Chloe Johnson, nine years old, if you would, uh, if you would pray for, for them as well. Well, let's take a moment to pray for all these folks and then we'll, we'll get into Judges chapter 16 uh, tonight. But before we, before we get there, let's pause and pray. And um, Brother Terry Childers, would you, mind, would you mind leading us in prayer this evening? And then we'll, we'll get into our Bible study.
Amen. Thank you, Brother Terry. I appreciate you praying, praying for us tonight. It is good to have my father-in-law in town, Brother Lloyd Stone. Terry's dad is with us. We got him for a week. If we could keep him longer, we would, but uh, he's in from Oklahoma, and we're glad that he can be uh, he can be in our home for the week, and he and Terry get to spend some time together. I appreciate you praying for him and this uh, season in his life with the homegoing of mom, and uh, we're grateful for, like I said earlier, we're grateful for God's promises. Uh, grateful for our ministries going on in the church tonight. We have a uh, there are a couple of kids right now being talked to about uh, salvation. We had a couple of girls came in tonight, and uh, I began a conversation with them. And I believe Brother John is continuing that conversation uh, with some of our young people about accepting Christ as Savior. And so uh, there's a lot to thank the Lord for and a lot to pray for. And so I appreciate you praying for your church family. Judges chapter number 16. Last time we we were together in our study here Samson looked like he was getting his act together for a little bit, didn't he? He took that jawbone and uh, killed a thousand Philistines, the Bible said. And then God, he prayed to God and, and God gave him water to drink out of that. And everything seemed to be going fine. He, God, he prayed for God to deliver him from death and, he, and God did do that. Um, and then the end of chapter 15, the very last verse says that he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. I read this. To chronologically, I read this to say that several things happened early in Samson's life uh, that moved along quickly. That first wife, and then her being killed and burned to death, and then the father, and the foxes being tied together and burning down, and 30 Philistines being killed, and then here a thousand. All of that seems to have happened in Samson's younger days. And then I do think there was a period of time for 20 years indicated in verse number 20 of chapter 15 where Samson served as a faithful judge. And I, I, looked at, uh, I look at those 20 years and the Bible just kind of goes right through them. Samson did during that time what he was given to do. God ordained him before he was born. It said he was to be a Nazarite from the womb. And so God even put restrictions on Samson's mother while she was pregnant and said, do this because your son is to be a Nazarite from the womb. He was called to be a servant of God, a judge of Israel before he was born. And then finally he comes to chapter number 15 and finally he he gets in that groove. And for 20 years, two decades, he serves God, I believe, faithfully. And everything seems to be going well, but Chapter 16, he falls back into his old ways again. And instead of continuing to be the faithful judge that God called him to be, he's going to get tangled up again in sin's web. And it starts right off the bat in chapter number 16. I put that thought on your worksheet that says Samson may have been a physically powerful man, but morally he was a weakling. A physically powerful man, Morally, he was a weakling. He repeatedly demonstrated these feats of strength. I mean, I don't know anybody that's picked up a, a, a bone and killed a thousand enemy combatants with it. I, he repeatedly shows his physical strength. But something about him just keep falling back. You remember in Greek mythology, there was that young man named Achilles. And Achilles was the son of a human god and a Greek... Uh, a Greek sea goddess, and he was handsome, and he was brave, and he was strong, and when he was a child, his mother took him by the heel 
and the myth goes that uh, she dipped him in the river Styx, and the magical powers of the river Styx made him invincible, except for that part of his heel where he was held by his mother. And you know, if you follow, if you remember your Greek mythology when you were in school, you remember that he was shot in the foot, shot in his Achilles tendon, and he died from that, that one vulnerable spot. Well, I don't believe in the river Styx, and I don't believe in Achilles, and I don't believe in Achilles' heel, but I believe in the figurative uh, side of that. But the Bible's word for that is the sin that doth so easily beset us. So tonight what I'd like to look at is Samson's besetting sin and dealing with that. And the reason we look at this tonight through a practical eye is because Samson illustrates what you and I deal with all the time. We have a besetting sin. It's something that trips us up. It's that vulnerable spot in our armor. You know, there are things that tempt me that you would never be tempted by. You just wouldn't. That's not your, that's not your struggle. And there are things you might struggle with that I might not be tempted by. Samson demonstrates, though, that we do have this Achilles heel, this besetting sin in us, as it's called in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1, the sin which doth so easily beset us. And though it may vary from person to person, your besetting sin is your Achilles heel. And don't think for a moment that Satan doesn't know how to exploit it. He is a wise enemy. He is a smart enemy, and he comes after us. For Samson, his Achilles heel was the illicit relationships with pagan women that he just pursued one right after another. He was not just a womanizer, but he was drawn to pagan women. He wasn't drawn to Jewish women. Do you remember his father's early in his life? Do you remember his father's question to him? Is there never a woman for you among the children of Israel? It was these pagan women that he was he was drawn to. And everyone has different besetting sins. Uh, greed. Jesus warned against the love of money. Ambition. Quest for power. Selfishness can be a besetting sin. I know some people that are just very self-centered. Pride. Gossip. Anger. All of these things can be besetting sins. You know, some you know someone who's just uh, there's not a pride bone, a proud bone in their body. You know, people like that. They are just they're meek, they're humble, and, and you admire that. And pride's not their besetting sin, but you can be sure they have one. They have something that Satan comes after. You might remember the name Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde was a British writer. Uh, he lived a decadent lifestyle. He was a humanist as far as he could be. I mean, there was nothing spiritually redeeming in Oscar Wilde. He was addressing temptation one time, and this is what he said. I can resist anything but temptation. The only way to get rid of temptation is to yield to it. That is a terrible piece of advice. The only way to get rid of temptation is to yield to it. How foolish is that? It's a godless thought is what that is. It's humanism at its finest. But that seems to have been Samson's creed. 
He never met he never met a pagan woman he didn't like. These first three these first three verses of, of Judges sixteen that's where we're going to confine ourselves tonight. Just three verses, but they remind us of sin's great power, the allure, the the temptation of sin. The truth is that we never really defeat sin in this life. It is always lurking in the shadows. It's hidden in the depths of our sinful nature. And it is like a lion waiting to pounce on us and destroy us. It's an ongoing battle. And it just takes one moment of yielding to a temptation and it can destroy your life or my life. How do we deal with these besetting sins that keep coming after us? Samson, he had 20 years apparently where he faithfully served the Lord and did what he was supposed to do. And he judged Israel like he should have. And God credits him that he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. But what a sad way to conclude 20 years of successful ministry by going right back where he was. The the truth is this, if you're honest with yourselves, and if I'm honest with me, we are never far from the pull of that old man. You have to admit that. You say, well, no, I I believe I've grown enough in grace. Well, Paul never came to that place. Paul said, I I had count not myself to have apprehended. Paul said, I find then this battle in me, that which I would do, I do not, that which I would not, that I do. This struggle that goes back and forth, it's with us until we die. It's the old man. I like Adrian Rogers. That's no secret. Uh, I wish I had his gift for quips, but I don't, so I just quote him. Somebody asked him one time, they said, Dr. Rogers, how old do you have to get till you don't battle the flesh anymore? And he said, look, you're going to battle the flesh till the day you die. And even then, I wouldn't trust it for three extra days. <laughs> That's our flesh. Samson demonstrates that for us. He shows us, he shows us that our besetting sin, it's always going to be there till we get to heaven. And once we start relying on self, we, like Samson, will end up entangled in a sin that we thought we were done with for 20 years, apparently, He had victory over this and served the Lord. And does not, chapter 16 and verse number 1, doesn't it read like the very first time that we meet Samson? Let's look at those three verses. Judges chapter 16, verse 1 says, Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there an harlot and went in unto her. And it was told the Gazites, the Gazites, saying, Samson has come hither. And they compassed him in and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city and were quiet all the night, saying, In the morning, when it is day, we shall kill him. And Samson lay till midnight and arose at midnight and took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and went away with them, bar and all, and put them upon his shoulders and carried them up to the top of an hill that is before Hebron. Now we'll stop there. Excuse me. We'll stop there because these three verses are going to remind us about our ongoing battle with the sin that does so easily beset us. And that's where Samson is coming from tonight. And so I want to get into this outline and and hopefully strengthen your hand in your spiritual battle. Because until you're dead and possibly three days later, 
you're going to fight that flesh. What do we do with that besetting sin? Why does Samson end up in the jams that he always does? Well, let's look at this tonight. I am thankful that you've been praying about our service tonight. Brother Terry prayed that God would bless his word, and so let's, let's get into it. In verse number one, the first idea is this. Samson is defiled. He's defiled. He falls back into his sin. He, uh, the, the Bible says that he went to this city, Gaza, and he saw there an harlot, and he went in unto her. And you understand exactly what that means. Two reasons, and there may be more, but two reasons I'll look at from the scripture tonight that Samson fell back into his sin. The first one is this. He was at the wrong address. Samson was at the wrong address. You know right away he's not where he's supposed to be when it tells you that Samson went to Gaza. The Philistines had five strong cities. They had five, they called them king cities in Philistia. Gaza is one of them. In fact, the very word Gaza means strong. This was a wicked, evil, strong city for the Philistines. It was near the Mediterranean coast. It was right on a road that went from Egypt to Babylon to Syria. Business and military personnel were on that road all of the time. It was a flourishing city, but it was not a city that a man of God should have been in. It was a Philistine city. I think I left this on your worksheet. It does matter where you spend your time. It matters. Christians, there are some places you ought not to be found. Gaza was one of those. He should have never been in Gaza. He was always in places where he was surrounded by sin and temptation. And if you are in places that you're surrounded by sin and and temptation, I'm just saying you are setting yourself up for a fall. It wasn't every street in Gaza where the prostitutes hung out. So not only was he in the wrong city, he was on the wrong street. He was at the wrong address. He set himself up. God tells us we ought to avoid such places that add to my temptation, that add to my struggle. Was it it Shakespeare or somebody else that said, know thyself? You know yourself. You know what tempts you. Don't go to those places where that temptation is just increased, where it's magnified or intensified. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Enter not into the path of the wicked. Go not in the way of the evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. Now, what do you think verse number 15 means? Can I read that again? Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. Is there any doubt what God is saying there? There are no more, the biggest word in there has two syllables. This is not hard to understand. This is English at its most base level. Stay away from the wrong places. Samson didn't, and it cost him. He got all tangled up again. We have a responsibility to protect ourselves from from temptation. And people won't understand that. You'll be invited to go someplace that you shouldn't go. And when you turn it down, people are going to question you on that. You're going to turn some activity down and people are going to question you on that. May I say this to you? It's better to be scorned by sinners than scarred by sin. Let God have his way. 
Stay away from those wrong addresses. You know who's a good Old Testament, uh, a good Old Testament example of that is Lot. Lot's a good example of putting himself intentionally at the wrong address. When he chose to go to Sodom instead of someplace far away from Sodom, you remember Abraham gave him the choice. Uh, your ranch hands, my ranch hands, they're not getting together, Abraham said. So where do you want to live? And the Bible said he looked around. Sodom looked like Egypt, well-watered plains. I'm going to go over there. He chose the wrong address. And here's what the Bible says in 2 Peter 2.8. This is what that decision did. Listen carefully. Keep in mind that you're going to see Lot in heaven one day. But here's what that one decision did. For that righteous man, Lot, dwelling among them, the Sodomites, in seeing and hearing. He was seeing what was going on. He heard what was going on. This is what the Bible said. He vexed his righteous soul from day to day. Put yourself in the wrong place and you vex your righteous soul. Don't do it. First of all, he was at the wrong address. Second, not only did he go to the wrong address, he accommodated the wrong attractions. Accommodated the wrong attractions. The Bible says in verse number one, he saw an harlot. That's the King James word for prostitute. Solomon, or or Samson rather, Solomon did too. Samson had eye trouble. He just, he just looked at the wrong things. I left on there a quote that Pastor Cross gave to me when he was my youth pastor back in the day. And this is what he said. This is a good rule of thumb for you and for me. You may not always be able to control what you see, but you can control what you look at. Be careful what you look at. Be careful. He accommodated the wrong attractions. Matthew 5, 28 says, It is possible to be defiled by the things that we see. And he saw this harlot. He saw uh, these women. It, It starts like that in his life all the time. He saw these women. Samson, Judah, David, Solomon. All of them were led into sin by things they looked at. You may not be able to control what you see, but you can control what you look at. Job chapter 31 and verse 1. I love what Job says here. I have made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? I've made a covenant with my eyes about what I look at. I'm not going to look at a woman and have the wrong kind of thoughts. That's exactly what he's saying. There's no other way to interpret it. He made a covenant with his eyes as to what he was going to see. You can't control what you see, but you can control what you look at. Samson looked at the wrong things. He accommodated the wrong attractions. Psalm 119.37 says, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity. Proverbs 4, verse 25, Let thine eyes look right on, And let thine eyelids look straight before thee. That's good advice, isn't it? That goes right along with all those other things in Scripture. Don't turn to the right hand or to the left. Just keep your eyes straight. That's good advice. Don't accommodate the wrong things. The Bible says this, that Samson went in unto her. 
May I, may I say this, and I'm not trying to be ugly, but you need to be careful how you qualify sin. His sin was not a mistake. It was not an accident. He put himself in the wrong place. He looked at the wrong things. And as a result of that, he made a sinful choice. His sin wasn't an accident. Well, I just, I just made a bad mistake. No, you didn't. You didn't make a bad mistake. You made a choice. We have to be careful that we don't accommodate sin in our Christian lives. Saying, Pastor, that just sounds that just sounds harsh. It's the truth. It's the truth. When when people end up pregnant unexpectedly, it wasn't a mistake. They didn't make a mistake. They made a choice to get into a bed that they shouldn't have gotten into. The first time that someone puts a needle in their arm or they take a drink that they shouldn't take and it leads on down the road, there was a choice made. I understand addiction and how the body craves, but somewhere along the line, a choice was made. Be careful about qualifying sin. We are quickly moving. We are quickly moving in our society if we've not got there already to rename sin after sin after sin. And God's word still says that's a choice you made. Samson went in unto this harlot. He didn't make a mistake. He didn't fall into sin. He chose. It's, you know, when someone says, well, they, they fell into sin, I don't fall unless I trip. I was working, I was training with some guys a couple of years ago. And we were sprinting, um, which, by the way, you should never do. If you're not in the regular habit of doing that, just don't one day decide you're going to relay with guys 25 or 30 years younger than you. We were taking off. It was hot outside. Apparently, the stretching that I did was not the type of stretching you're supposed to do. And we're running a relay. And about the third leg of that thing, my right hamstring, uh, just it just gave way. And I crashed to the ground. I, I had no idea why all of a sudden my leg wasn't working. I just went right to the ground. That was, that was me falling or tripping. I didn't choose to do that. But I want you to know, when your pastor sins, it's a choice that he's made. It wasn't a mistake, and it wasn't an accident. Neither was it with Samson, and neither is it with you. When we sin, let's fess up. It's a choice that we've made. Samson saw this harlot, and the Bible says, went in unto her. He demonstrates an important truth that sins of the flesh have deep hooks. Sins of the flesh, according to the New Testament, are unlike. They're unlike any other qualifier or, or quantity of sin. They're, they're sins of the flesh, sexual sins, are in a category by themselves, according to Scripture. The hooks are deep. It's so important that we keep our eyes on the Lord. Like that verse said in Proverbs 4, let thine eyes look right on. He put himself in the wrong place and he put himself with the wrong people. And I think, this is just me personally, I'm not saying this that your circumstances determine all that. I'm just saying that the likelihood of him committing a sin with a prostitute was less likely back in Israel. 
Because Israel, they had the commandments of God. Philistia didn't have the word of God. They didn't have the words of Moses saying, thou shalt not this and thou shalt not that. He had the word of God back in Israel, but he put himself around the wrong people. The importance of keeping good company. Hang with people who encourage you to be more like Jesus. Choose, and this is not just good preaching for teenagers. It's good preaching for 40 and 60 and 80 year olds. Hang with people that encourage you to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Samson's not a teenager here. I think Samson probably is at least in his 40s when we come to Judges chapter 16. Proverbs 24 or 22 verses 24 and 25. Make no friendships with an angry man. With a furious man thou shalt not go. Why? Lest thou learn his way and get a snare to thy soul. You become like those people you hang around. You hang around angry people, you're going to be an angry people. You hang around a furious man, you're going to be a furious man. He that walketh with wise men, Proverbs 13, 20, remember it? He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Choose wise friends. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Good manners is the right lifestyle, your life practices. To be around an influence that attacks that will change your life practice, your habits. So let's not blame anyone when we get ourselves into sin. We need to be on guard. He should not have been at that address. He should not have been accommodating these type of of associations. He's, He's associating with the wrong people here. The people I congregate with, the people I hang around, they have an impact on my life. That's Samson and his defilement, verse 1. Well, we better move quickly, right? Verse 2, Samson is defiled. And now, verse 2, Samson is discovered. Samson is discovered. It says that his enemies found out he was in town. So what did they do? It was told the Gazites saying, Samson is come hither, and they compassed him in and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city, were quiet all the night, saying, in the morning when it is day, we shall kill him. So he is in town. He saw no harm in enjoying the pleasure of sin for a few minutes with this lady. There's not going to be a problem. He never thought this was going to lead to a snare or a trap. Proverbs talks about a guy like Samson, doesn't it? You remember Proverbs chapter 7? That's a, it's, the, it's the fool who's looking out. This guy's looking out the casement of his window. Remember that? And he says, I see a, I see a guy out there, and he's a simpleton. He doesn't, he doesn't have a clue what's going on. And he sees a woman dressed like a prostitute, and she lures him in. And at the end of chapter 7, it says this. That guy has no idea that this is for his life. Now, it doesn't happen here, but you know the end of Samson's life, don't you? It's a pagan woman that leads to his capture and his imprisonment and ultimately his death. He has no idea that that snare has been set. Thankfully, he's going to escape out of this snare. We'll see that in a moment. But he thinks, here's the thing. He thinks there's no way there could be a snare in this. And we respond the same way. But church, sin is designed 
to set you up to fall. There is a process at work through sin that is meant to bring about our destruction. Satan goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may destroy. The Bible says sin is the same way. There's a process involved. Can we just note four or five things here about sin's work? First, there is sin's surrounding work. Surrounding work. It says that the Philistines compassed him in. They surrounded him. Sin does that. Some people say that Christianity is too restrictive. And it takes away our our freedom. It takes away our fun. But I would have to ask you, what kind of fun is taken away? The pleasures of sin? Is 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 that what Christianity takes away? The pleasures of sin? What freedom is taken away? The freedom to give in to temptation? The truth is that it is sin that restricts us. Somebody said that sin is like a boa constrictor. You know, a boa constrictor, when they first grab you, they don't put the death grip on you immediately. The way those those constrictors, some of you are into snakes. Some of you have grandsons that were into snakes. Um, God love you. Boa constrictors don't put the death grip on you right away. They embrace their victim, and then they just wait for you. They just wait for you to exhale. They just wait for you to breathe. And when you inhale, they're right there. But when you exhale, they squeeze. And then you can inhale a little bit, but you can't inhale as much as you can because they've taken up that room. And what the boa constrictor does is it starts out with an embrace, but gradually it will squeeze the life out of its victim. That's how sin is. Sin doesn't show its ugly fangs at the front. Sin does its surrounding work. It embraces and it wraps you up. I was watching some show the other day. I don't know what show that was. But these people were in a vet shop and a python got loose. And when they got it back, it had a bump in its belly. And then they noticed that a chihuahua they had was missing. I found that quite humorous. Uh, The people in the show didn't. I thought it was funny. But that's how it works. Those those constrictors, that's how they work. They embrace. And and when they wrap wrap an animal up, you've, you've seen that before. You like those same shows I do. Don't act like you don't. When they wrap those things up, boy, they just wrap them up. And and here's the truth. It takes away the freedom of their victim. It's got their arms. It's got their legs. That's what sin does. It's not Christianity that takes away our freedom. It's sin. It surrounds us, and it constricts us just, just like that. We won't turn there, but you can, if I didn't leave it on your worksheet, write down Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Sin does not give freedom. Sin takes you into bondage. So there's sin's surrounding work, and it puts you in bondage. Sin's steady work. The Bible says that those Philistines, did you mark that in verse number 2? The Philistines laid, laid wait for him all night. You know what that shows me? Sin's patience. Sin's patience. Sin is a patient work. It lets us move around until we are hopelessly entangled in its web. Oftentimes, we don't feel the trap closing in. I love those nature shows. I told you this before. And I like what You ever seen those Venus flytraps? Those are, those are interesting plants. I guess they're plants. 
They don't seem like plants. They seem like aliens to me. That little bug gets in there, and apparently they've got some kind of sweet nectar that lines its little sides. And those plants have those little bugs have no idea that they're they're about to get trapped. And it gets in there and it starts eating that nectar or whatever it does or licks it up with its little tongue. I don't know what's going on, but all of a sudden, while it's enjoying, while it's enjoying that nectar, here comes that Venus flytrap, right? And it just, just like that. You know what those traps don't do? They don't do this. They don't do that. You watch them. They just, it's just kind of this gradual close, just nice like that. And they don't do it right away. They'll wait till that ant's down in there, and then they'll just, and he's not coming out. Those are bars in his prison. Sin's patient. It'll, It'll let you get into it. And it'll let you get tangled up. And by the time the danger is recognized, it's too late to escape that trap. Sin, sin has a steady work. It takes a while. But God warns us in Galatians 6, 7, what is sown will eventually be reaped. It's sin's steady work. How do I avoid that? I, I would challenge you, keep a short sin account. That's how I would do it. Don't get entangled in sin. Boy, the minute, Christian, that you, you start to... You start to feel yourself giving in to temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted. But the minute you start to give in to that temptation, back out of that thing. If that little ant could just feel that Venus flytrap just quiver a little bit, boy, the first thing he ought to do is run. Get out of Dodge. Joseph, when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife, he fled that thing so violently, he literally came out of his coat. Sin has a steady work, and it will tangle us up. But if we'll keep a short sin account, if we'll turn our back on temptation, that'll help. So sin's steady work. Next, sin's silent work. Did you see what it says about the Philistines in verse 2 again? What's that next phrase? They were quiet all night. Sin's quiet work. That's the subtle nature of sin. Sin just goes about its business. Doesn't tell you the truth. Doesn't mention cost or consequence. Sin's silent work. It'll whisper in your ear, you can enjoy its pleasure all day and all night. It's fine. This can be fine. You're an adult. You know what sin will whisper? What's, you think you're going to lose your salvation? Sin goes about its work silently and subtly. And just like these men were quiet all night, sin hides its hook. It is subtle in nature. Advertisers for alcohol promise tremendous fun. And model-type bodies. They don't tell you that if you consume too much of their product, you're going to look like a fat slob. They're not going to tell you that. There's a hook there. Free access to birth control promises guilt-free fornication. The lottery holds out the promise of instant and un, uh, unequaled wealth, but it, remind, it doesn't remind you of its addictive nature. It doesn't tell you that the only way for you to win is for everybody else to lose. Sin's facts 
are somewhat different than its promises because it never tells the truth. It doesn't tell the truth about ruined health or lost wealth or empty wallets or destroyed lives or broken families. It is silently at work. It's subtle in its nature. Proverbs 14 and verse 12 and 1625 almost say the exact same thing. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Sin's always going to lie about itself. It's always going to lie. Sin's surrounding work, its steady work, its silent work, and the last one is its slaying work. The last phrase of verse 2 said their purpose was to kill him. Death was always the Philistine plan for Samson, and death is always the sin for you. Death, or, or, or death is always the goal for your sin. It's true with temptation, and it's true with death. Death is the end of sin. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read James chapter 3, and you're probably familiar with these verses. James chapter 3, or, or James chapter 1, rather, and verse number 13. James 1.13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And here's, here's the line, and this is true every time. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Death is always the end of sin. It just is not always immediate. But, but sin kills. That's, that's what it does. Thankfully, there's victory in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 through 57. Thanks be to God who giveth us the victory. He delivers from this sin. He gives new life. Sin kills in this life and it kills in the next life. But in Jesus Christ, we can have eternal life. You remember 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is faithful to do that. Someone said, if we will live in Romans 6, verses 11 through 14, you won't have to visit 1 John 1, 9 as much. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 11 says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin, therefore, reign in, your mortal, reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those who are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. If we would practice those verses, we won't have to go to 1 John 1, 9 and confess our sins because we'll stay away from them. We won't live perfectly but we have victory in Christ. Samson is defiled. He goes into that harlot. Samson is discovered. His enemies found him, and they said, here's the plan. We're going to lay right here, and we're going to set this process in motion. And what's the end of it? We're going to kill him. Samson, verse 3, is delivered. 
Samson is delivered, and then we're done. They laid their trap for him. They were determined to kill Samson, but God intervened on his behalf. Now, in verse number 3, you won't find the name God. But what you will find is an incredible, an incredible feat. F-E-A-T, not F-E-E-T. You'll find an incredible feat. First, look at the power of his deliverance. It says in verse number three, those guys remember they're going to be quiet all night. We're going to stay there till morning. I think they probably fell asleep. But Samson got up at midnight. The Bible says he lay until midnight and arose at midnight and took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and went away with them, bar and all, and he put them upon his shoulders and carried them up to the top of a hill that is before Hebron. The power of his deliverance. The Bible says that he took the gates and the bars and the posts and all of this to the top of the hill before Hebron. That's a pretty astounding thing. You know, in human history, there have been, there are recorded events and they're, they're established as fact. Incredible human strength. I came across a couple of them. In 1798, a man by the name of William Carr carried a 1,120-pound 1, anchor one half mile. Not in a cart. He carried it, 1,120 pounds, carried it a half a mile. There was a woman in 1895. Her name is Josephine Blatt. With a hip and harness lift, she lifted 3,564 pounds. Now, this, these are facts. These are facts in, in history that are established, not just making them up. In 1957, the, the greatest recorded feat of strength where the, measure, where the weight was known, 1957, a man by the name of Paul Anderson backlifted a lead table that was loaded with auto parts and they weighed the table afterwards, and it weighed 6,270 pounds. That's, I don't know what a backlift is, but I don't care. That's impressive. 6,270 pounds. All of those things pale in comparison to what the Bible says Samson did here. He picked, it, he picked up these gates to this major city, took the posts out of the ground, the bar that goes across to lock those gates... While those Philistine men were lying in wait, and the Bible is very clear here, isn't it? They were right there at those gates. And the Bible says Samson went over there, took those gates, took the posts, bar and all, it says, and took it to a hill that's by Hebron. Now, that doesn't mean very much to me until I go to the back of my Bible and I go to my little Bible maps. And I get my little slide ruler out and I look and discover that that's a 38-mile trek that is mostly ascending up into mountainous region. He carried something that weighed thousands of pounds for 38 miles uphill. I know your parents went to school uphill in snow both ways. I know this is the truth. He carried those gates uphill 38 miles. I'm saying God's name is not in verse number 3, but there's no way he did that in the power of his flesh. His strength was supplied to him by God, the power of his deliverance. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. I know that Samson heart, Samson's heart was not right here. I know that. He just got out of a prostitute's bed. But there is no way he did that without the strength that he got from the Lord. 
No way he killed those thousand Philistines with a jawbone of a donkey. There's no way. Not in his own strength. His strength wasn't in his hair. That was just an outward display of what God had given him. Samson's heart wasn't right, but God was still directing his steps. That's the power of his deliverance, the pardon of his deliverance. What do you mean by that, Pastor? I mean this, that Samson's deliverance, that he wasn't murdered that night by those Philistine men, and there were more of them than there was him, that is a testament of God's grace working on his part. That's God's grace in action. Here's my human opinion. He deserved to get caught by those Philistines. He deserved it. He was in their territory. He's a Jew. He just killed, uh, he'd been judging Israel and holding off the Philistines for 20 years. He's got thousands of dead Philistines in his path. He deserved to be killed that night, but he wasn't. The pardon was God's grace in action. God is merciful to us. He gives us opportunity to repent. I am thankful. For one, I am thankful for God's long-suffering. He's certainly long-suffering with him. Here's the problem. Samson failed to see God's long-suffering as an opportunity to repent of his sin. And so do we. Jude says that when we keep sinning, knowing that there's there's a judging God out there, and we keep presuming on God's grace... Well, God didn't bother me before. Samson assumed that he'd, he, he'd done these things before. There's no consequence. I've been with a prostitute all night, and there's been no consequence. So I'll do it again later. Jude 4 says that that is turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. What does that mean? That means God is a merciful God, but there's a limit to his mercy. There's a limit to his long-suffering. And Samson's going to learn that soon. He's going to find that out in later, uh, later on in this chapter. And when we say things like, well, I've done it before, but God let me repent, and, and nothing really happened, so, so I'll just go ahead and do it again. When we do that, we tempt God. Samson just keeps tempting God with his life. Do you do that? Be careful. Well, I did this before, and God didn't do anything. Just because the hammer didn't fall today doesn't mean it's not going to fall. That's said more clearly in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse number 11 because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the hearts of the son of men is fully set in them to do evil. Judgment's coming. It just may not come today. For Samson, the cost was coming. There are always consequences attached to the sin of God's people all the time. Revelation, we just finished our study in Revelation Sunday. Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 19, 19, Jesus says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Not I may do that. I do it. Samson had to know it was coming, but he didn't. He didn't live like it. He just kept living like there's no consequence. God's pardon of him. God's stay of judgment, it it manifests in that, but Samson kept abusing it. We're going to see it's going to catch up to him. Tragically, it will. So how do we wrap this up tonight? Samson teaches us the importance. If you know what Proverbs 4.12 says, you know what the rest of that phrase is. Samson teaches us the importance of guarding our heart. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. 
He teaches us to guard our heart, shield your life from evil influence. He didn't do it. He put himself in place after place where he could be tempted. So where you go and what you do and with whom you associate, guard those things. They impact us. Sin will not stop until it destroys you and me. It won't. It'll just keep going. It'll destroy you. It'll destroy your family. It's not content with just you. Guard against it. Sin is always a taker in the long run. And sometimes in the short run. You know how many times we've gone to a scene with the police department where the first time somebody used a a strong drug, they overdosed and died. Sin's not always a taker in the long run. Sometimes, sometimes it's a taker in the short run. With Samson, it, it was definitely a taker. Church, keep a short sin account. You want to battle your besetting sin? I don't know what it is. With, with, with Samson, it was pagan women. And it looks like his whole life, that was a struggle for him. There was a period of time where he had victory over it, but it didn't last forever. Keep a short sin account. Stay dependent on the Lord. Walk, the scripture says, walk in the spirit, not in the flesh, because you don't want to fulfill the lust of the flesh. And outside of the Holy Spirit, that is our default mode, is fulfilling the lusts of our flesh, whatever they are. Without the spirit, we are not pretty people, are we? In the spirit, we look and walk and move and live like the one who saved us. That's how we get over that's how we defeat our besetting sin is we just say Jesus without you I can do nothing. So for this day and sometimes for this hour and sometimes for this minute fill me with your spirit. May I always walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Father, thank you for your word and for Samson's example as bad as it is. We thank you for putting it in your word because he shows, Lord, what we battle every day. These besetting sins help us to lean on you. May we not walk out of here tonight looking at Samson saying, what a bad guy. Help us to walk out of here tonight with hearts that are convinced that that would be us if it were not for your grace. So help us to learn from the warning you've put in here. These things happen for our example and they happen for our admonition. May we learn from it. We pray in your name. Amen. God bless you, church. Good to see you this evening.